TNHoller.com is where you can find us at the TNHoller on Twitter and Facebook. Blair is at Blair Walsingham. And I want to let people know that even in Blair's neck of the woods, we now have a holler. Memphis, Chattanooga, Knoxville, Cookville, Tri-Cities, Murfreesboro. We even have one in West Virginia now, which is pretty <laughs> sweet. The reason that we're able to do all this is because you guys have been so supportive. Small dollar monthly donations really help. If you have a few bucks, give it to Blair. If you got a few more than that, give it to us. That stuff really goes a long way. It helps us know what we can count on and who we can bring in. Blair, how are you? I'm doing great this morning. It's it's a wonderful day. It's beautiful out. My kids are happy, so it's it's going good. So Blair, my understanding of your race is it's you against the world. It's you on the Democrat side, and then there's about 15 people on the Republican side all vying for Dr. Phil Rowe's seat can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you want to take on this challenge? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an interesting race. And uh, since Phil Rowe is vacating the seat, there's a lot of people out there who you know want to make change for Tennessee. But uh, I definitely am the most progressive candidate on here championing some newer ideas. Uh, I'm, I'm a mother of four. I'm an Air Force veteran. I'm a small business owner. I live out in Hawkins County. And I just, I love Tennessee. And when I go out and I talk to people, I'm seeing just terrible stories, sad, the saddest stories that should never even be happening here in America and how poverty is just crippling so many communities. It's, it's not just about having internet access or healthcare or these big wedge issues. It's about having running water and electricity and putting food on the table and just getting your kids a decent education. And so when, when I thought about my kids' future and what the world is going to, I decided instead of waiting for somebody else to come along to make change for everybody, to, to step up and serve my country again. You just alluded to the first time you served your country. Can you tell us a little bit about your service and thank you for it, first of all? Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was I was raised in a military household. My dad was in the Air Force and he was deployed my entire childhood. And both my grandfathers are decorated war veterans and I wanted to follow in their footsteps. I joined the uh, Air Force at 17 and I was actually in boot camp for my high school graduation. And uh, it was a big tipping point in my life. It taught me accountability, responsibility, teamwork. I loved being in the military. And uh, I came in as services, which is a broad uh, job title. We are, we're cooks, we're support systems. We do bear-based setup. We're trained in mortuary affairs. It's a wide variety. I mostly was a cook. It was my main job. I love cooking. I love feeding people. <laughs> and then I was diagnosed with cervical cancer right before a deployment, two days before less than two days before I was about to leave. So I had to stay stateside and I cross-trained into airspace operations, which was mostly putting in flight patterns and just monitoring our airspace, keeping our, our stateside safe. That must've been an intense battle. What, how long did that last and how are you now? It's, it's an ongoing process. I do occasionally have to get some biopsies and checks, but I'm overall doing well. Uh, at, in the beginning, they recommended a full hysterectomy, and that was before I've had my two beautiful daughters. So I, I'm glad that I was able to get some, some sim- more of the simpler treatments and push through that, and I've, I've overall done well. Well, that's good to hear. Thank you. Um, so you're running in a place that we have seen recently in the news because of some protests and the counter protests and the ugliness that has gone on there. Is that representative of the area? What can you tell us about the area that you're running in? 
I love this question because a, a lot of people and even myself at one point did chalk up a lot of that behavior to this area, that it's something that we we can't avoid. It's been out here for a while and it was the majority. And I would love to share with you guys that it is not the majority. And uh, I think what you're referring to was the the recent protest here in Rogersville, which is where I am today. And it's, it's really a great example of how we're being fed this false divide. I am now the vice chair of our local Sierra Club and they have their wonderful environmental group out here doing so much for the community. And they're they're mostly senior citizens. Love you guys, but that's they are. It's the senior citizens club. They wanted to just hold a small peaceful gathering of like 15 people, and it was spun up into this crazy thing, saying it was going to be this violent protest of people bust in from all over to tear down the veterans memorial and come locked and loaded. And and they did. Over 300 people showed up with with loaded guns and flags and hateful rhetoric. And a lot of people did apologize, but this is just a really good point of the confusion. And I'll tell you, a lot of people who showed up on this side, they're not locals. That's not the opinion out here. Most people want the same thing. What we have in common, we want to be happy, healthy, and freedom and financially secure. And and that is the overall opinion is people people want peace. There was a article, I think it was about that protest where they basically said, this might be Antifa. They did. That Antifa thing, you know, that's what brings people out. And then you had... Nazis, I think, came in from Knoxville even and, you know, people looking for a fight. And in general, that's what's going on. There are people who are looking for fights around here. And, you know, I think we need people who are going to focus on the things that we have in common, which it sounds like you are. What are the things that you're hearing from people? I know it's probably a difficult time to run. I ran for Congress in 2018 and it was about knocking doors and shaking hands. You can't shake Mm -hmm. hands right now. So, how are you adjusting to a campaign during a pandemic and what are people thinking about? Well, Canoe, it's things like this that allow me to still connect with people. I do, you know, go out, but I just don't feel like it's safe. And with the numbers rising, I, as a leader, do not want to be accountable for spreading COVID to anybody, period. I think we should definitely lead by example in every way possible. And that means taking safety measures. So having Zooms, doing online town halls and these forums and just being able to connect with people is fantastic. I also highlight how I'm freely available on social media. My phone number is out there. You can call me, you can email me, you message me, we respond. Uh, so I'm happy to talk to people even though I can't get out there and make those you know, really deep personal connections like we would in person. Right, and that's the challenge is you know, making yourself available. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about what's going on on the other side of the aisle. Um, There's 15 of them. Do you have any feeling one way or another? Do you care who you run against? Uh, Are you watching it even? Are there any differences between them? Because we've seen in the Senate race, Bill Haggerty and Manny Sethi are basically cut from the same cloth. They're all going to rubber stamp what Trump says. Is that true for all 15 of the candidates on the other side of the aisle? It's mostly true. They heavily lean on the label. Vote for me because I'm this label that we've had for so long instead of uh, actual policies. And there is a few few that I think are better than than some of the others, but I don't want to give them any free air times. <laughs> okay, well, that's fair enough. Running for Congress, was this something that you've always thought about doing? And we could talk about some specific issues here, but how, how progressive would you say you are? And is this something that you've always thought about? Or did it just occur to you recently like it did to me? 
I've always wanted to help people. And I've looked at different ways to do that from being in the military to doing volunteer work to donating what I can, helping people when I can. I've wanted to run for office, but I had this mentality that unless you're a lawyer or that you're rich, you can't. And that's kind of how the reality is. I have lots of competition that fund themselves and they drop a quarter million like it's nothing to buy advertisements and flags. If I had a quarter million dollars, the things I fantasize about doing is helping people, buying plots of land and putting small houses on it and giving it away. I can't imagine having a quarter million dollars to just throw away. If you actually want to help your communities, do so. So, so for me, it was really getting over this mentality that I didn't have to be rich and that I didn't have to have a specific law degree to know that I can actually help people and that we really need uh, people like myself who understand the challenges we're really facing to be our representatives. So let's do a few rapid fire um, issues based things. Uh, healthcare, what's your position on things like Medicare for all or, you know, uh, Obamacare, where, what do you prefer? Oh, I'll try to do the shortest versions possible for this. The medical thing is very long and very big. Uh, Medicare for all is really branding. It's not an actual policy. It's the same thing as when I say I want universal access to healthcare. Healthcare should be a basic human right that nobody should not have, especially here in America. So I'm I'm an immediate support of expanding Medicaid and taking the funds that are being dangled in front of us that our current legislation is choosing to not accept, to not help the people suffering, to work towards a long-term goal of what people imagine Medicare for all to be, but leaving a private option open while we fix all of the problems and corruption within the system system to hold pharmaceutical companies accountable to make sure you can actually afford your co-pays and prescriptions, um, separating healthcare from the mental health system, making sure people have access to that affordable access, changing the Medicare wage index and getting rid of the certificate of need so we can actually open more hospitals here. So just getting people insurance isn't, isn't going to solve our problems. So it's a huge answer there. But it sounds like at the end of the day, you are open to something like a Medicare for all solution. It's Absolutely. just, you think that it needs to be. And I actually agree with you in some ways, keeping a private insurance option, at least at first, might be useful. I know that that's not necessarily where people are all the way on the progressive mm -hmm. side of things, but I've always felt like something like our education system where everybody has access to a baseline insurance yeah. plan, but if you can afford it, you can get private insurance, like you can send your kid to private school. I think if people would use our education system as a roadmap, people would understand that a little bit better. And you know, I know that Bernie and and certain people want to outlaw private insurance. I feel like people think that goes a bridge too far. I understand why they want to do that. And I am not opposed to it, but I do think people would have an easier time grasping something like our education system translated to our healthcare system, which it sounds like what you're talking about. That's a great, that's actually a great comparison. The problem is, is we have people with no coverage and people who say, well, this isn't good enough. So we're just going to leave you with no coverage. We don't like this idea or that idea and they won't agree. So I found a path somewhere in the middle that I think would actually get uh, push through legislation. So nobody is left out while we actually get the care to be good. If the care is good and affordable and more people are on it, you're going to have people who don't want to pay for their high insurance because they have an alternative. That's how you get the pool to be full to make the affordability come down. And actually, I think that poll is better than even just a straight Medicare for all, which is popular despite what they say. Legalizing medical marijuana or marijuana in general, I feel like the tide is turning on that it's definitely turning on that nationally. I think it's even turning on that here 
in Tennessee, there are Republican legislators who are in favor of it. It hasn't happened here, mm -hmm. but especially with opioids ravaging our communities, especially in your district, medical marijuana or legalizing marijuana in general is something that we should really be looking at. What do you think? I'm 100% for fully legalizing cannabis um, all, all the way around. It's not only good for people's health, it, it's your freedom to have if you want to have it. And it's also extremely lucrative and good for the environment. It, there's there's no losing to this. We have people sitting in jail in states where we have rich white people walking into cannabis shops and selecting whatever they want at their own free will. And we have people who've still been in jail their entire lives for cannabis charges. We absolutely need to legalize, uh, get rid of those records and give people their freedom back. I agree with you. There's a couple of issues that come up in rural parts of the state that are really difficult to get past. And one of them just had a moment yesterday, the abortion issue. Governor Lee signed an abortion ban in Tennessee. It was blocked by a federal judge 45 minutes later. Mm -hmm. You find that that's what people really care about on the other side of the aisle? Are people talking about that in your district? First of all, it's a waste of time and money because we know it's going to get thrown out. So they're wasting all that time and money to push that through to have it just tossed back in the trash. We've already been through the cycle a whole lot. But I do find it is a huge issue that people do truly care about or at least think they really care about. My proposition to this is solving the actual root causes of why are women actually getting abortions? It's not because they want to and it's not because it's affordable. It's extremely expensive. It's not a procedure that anybody wants to have to go through. So I look at the actual causes of problems and not band-aids. So we can say, sure, let's make it illegal, which is what they want to do. It's not going to end it. So if they really care about getting women to not have abortions, they need to look at the real things like supporting women, make sure we have equal pay, healthcare, so that the cost of birth isn't so daunting and make sure that we still have a future. How are we supposed to raise kids and work and pay the bills if we, we don't have all these things set in place? Paid family leave, and this includes fathers to support mothers. It's hard to be a first-time mom, especially. These are the things we should really be looking at, not trying to uh, outlaw it. What's more pro-life than Medicaid expansion? Subsidizing daycare for low-income women. Over 60% of women who have abortions, they list finances as the reason if we want people to stop making that choice, mm -hmm. give them a reason not to. And we do that by dealing with inequality, which I heard you talk about with Trey Crowder. And to me, at the end of the day, inequality is at the root of all of this. This is the biggest pandemic we were facing pre-COVID was poverty. It's not just one spot, but it's definitely worse in the rural communities. And until we make that better, we're going to keep being at the bottom. We're going to keep seeing suicide rates on the rise. We're going to keep seeing people without jobs. And, and let's throw COVID in the mix now and automation in the mix now, which is even being exacerbated more by COVID. This is a class war. We have to make sure that people have the funds they need to be safe and take care of themselves. It's just basic human decency. Class war. I know that that's hard for people to hear. Class war is what's going on. It's just happening to the working class, taking away unions, taking away healthcare. It's happening with refusing to raise the wage for 15 years. In Tennessee, we're at the bottom in poverty, at the bottom in infant mortality, at the bottom in maternal mortality, at the bottom in medical bankruptcies, at the bottom in rural hospital closures per capita. It's only socialism when it's your money going back to you. When they're giving all of your hard-earned dollars and our American dollars to corporations, it's, it's fine. It's an investment. I would encourage you to have uh, faith in yourself and know that you are worthy. You deserve that money. You deserve a nice house. You deserve a good future and a good job and education and time with your family. Um, we have to really turn the focus back on our 
our lives as just humans and the betterment of society as a whole and not just around working for corporations to make money. Um, so I would encourage you to lead by example, be nicer, be kinder, be more thoughtful than you were the day before, because that's how we make true change as a society is reconnecting and building those bridges where we've gotten so disconnected. Uh, please go to blairforcongress.com, check it out. Feel free to contact me. I'm happy to answer and talk talk things through. And if you can donate, it's extremely important. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, people are talking quarter million of their own money to try to win this race. I'm running fully on grassroots. I don't accept corporate money, PAC money, and I'm certainly not rich to invest any in this campaign. And I would love to change this in the future, but right now our system runs on, on this. It runs on donations. So if you can, please show your support to blairforcongress.com. I love you all. And I want to see everybody here in Tennessee thrive. Blair, thanks for coming on here. Good luck to you. Thank you. Uh, maybe we can do this again down the road once we find out who your opponent is. Yeah. And I know you're not planning to give them any airtime, but I can assure you the holler will be giving them airtime, the Tri-Cities holler especially. Blair, thank you. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Tennessee.